Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Believe it or not, I have been the primary preacher here now for 10 years. Uh, it's, it's gone fast and slow, I'm not sure. It depends on the day. Uh, but one of the things that I've learned over those 10 years is how critical it is for a church to really stand on and hide behind and find itself in the authority of God's word. And one of the things that happens when you're 29 years old taking over a church uh, that's, that's kind of in crisis is you don't really have a lot of life experience to lean on. And so you learn very early the best thing for us to do is just to preach the Bible. And so we made a decision as a church a decade ago that we're just going to work through books of the Bible. And although we, we have teaching series like the Holy Spirit series we just finished, by and large for the last 10 years we have been preaching chronologically through different books of the Bible. And if you've been here during that time, or remember we've done Luke, we've done Mark, we've done Revelations. Revelation? Just, just, te just, just testing you. Just testing you. Uh, we did Genesis, we did Joshua, we, we've done Acts, we've, we've worked our way through. And I've learned that one of the benefits of going through books of the Bible chronologically is it forces you to preach texts that you'd otherwise wouldn't preach. Uh, it makes you have to engage the Bible. And I have found there's health just in approaching God's word as authoritative, even the ones, even like the texts and the parts of the Bible that seem like, uh, why is this in here? Anybody? There's health, actually, in just yielding your intelligence and yielding your pride and saying, God, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. They're higher than mine. And so I believe that you have this in here for a reason, even though it's a mystery to me. Anybody found tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word? That is a profound mystery and a simple truth that will change your life. But I've also found that it forces you to reckon with and wrestle with certain texts that you'd otherwise skip. I'll never forget having to preach about Timothy's circumcision as we went through the book of Acts. I really did preach about it and go back maybe seven years. I would never have preached some of the texts in Revelation. Usually pastors get off the train at chapter 5 and let all the weird stuff take place, and we don't deal with it. And it, we found it super helpful and healthy to have to wrestle through some of these texts. And today i got to confess to you that where we arrive in Matthew's gospel, I was tempted to kind of pass forward because it seemed too easy, too simple. Maybe no one needed to hear this, but I felt a prompt early in this week in my spirit. I felt the Lord say, someone needs to hear this today. There's somebody that needs to hear this message and hear the word of the Lord that Matthew is trying to get us to see here in chapter 8. Now, if you are just joining us, we are in the 8th chapter of Matthew, and we started this series back early in the new year, and we've learned the purpose of Matthew's gospel is twofold. First and foremost, Matthew writes this story about the person and work of Jesus Christ, trying to show us that he is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God in the Old Testament. Paul reiterates this in Corinthians where he says, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. If you want to know the point of the Old Testament, it's all pushing forward to be culminated in the person and work of Jesus. And 
Matthew goes out of his way to demonstrate that, to show us how he's the true Adam, how he's the true Abraham, how he's the true Moses who leads us into liberty, how he's the fulfillment of all the prophets, and he is the Messiah that the Old Testament was prophesying. And so Matthew shows us these things, and then we find in the first handful of chapters, Jesus comes on the scene preaching this kingdom. His invitation is repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we spent a lot of weeks in the summer preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, which is Jesus' Magna Carta, so to speak. It's his, uh, you know, manus opus, is that a word? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's his description of what the, the kingdom of God is all about and what it looks like. And now that Matthew has our attention and we find out that large crowds are gathering, we're going to start to see in the next handful of stories who is invited to be part of this kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. And he is indeed the king of. And Matthew is going to go out of his way to show that all people, especially the irreligious and unimportant people of the world, it's good news for all of us, who put their faith in Jesus, experience salvation and transformation. And so we find this story of a leper right on the heels of this, this Sermon on the Mount and this incredible picture of the person of Jesus and the teaching of the kingdom. And this is the first story that Matthew goes out of his way to share. And now you need to know something today, that this story is here for a reason. Not all of the miracles of Jesus are recorded in the scripture. In fact, John said that you could write a whole book and you wouldn't have time for all the miracles that Jesus did. So if you encounter a miracle, you have to assume that the writer put it there to show you something about Jesus. It's not just there because it's any ordinary miracle. There's a reason that Matthew chose and Jesus performed this miracle right on the heels of establishing the truth and the invitation of the kingdom, it's, it's a statement piece, if you will. It's the, it's the thing that Matthew is trying to draw your attention to to show you something to be true about Jesus. And I want to show us three very simple truths. I'm not going to take long today, but this should pop off the page to you when you read this story of a man with leprosy. Now let's talk about leprosy for a few minutes. You want to? Yeah, yeah good, good. Let's do a little lesson in leprosy. So leprosy in the first century was the most feared disease that you could get. Leprosy was thought to be the walking death. If you had leprosy, you were actually considered as good as dead. In fact, in, middle, in the Middle Ages, priests would often invite lepers to come into the church and they would pronounce the burial rites over them before they even died because there was no cure. This was a death sentence. One commentator said that no other disease reduced a human being to such a hideous wreck as did leprosy. Leprosy was the scourge. It was the absolute terror of the first century. If you had leprosy, your life, in effect, was not just over, but you were going to suffer a horrible end. One commentator described it like this. Get ready. He said leprosy begins with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. Oftentimes it would start in the eyes. Eyes would get shadowy and puffy and there would be little spots start to form. And that was the first tell that you contracted leprosy. 
Barclay goes on to say, the ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out, the eyes become staring, the vocal cords become ulcerated, and the voice becomes hoarse and the breath wheezes. The hands and feet always ulcerate. Slowly the, suffer, slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. You get in the picture. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years, and it ends in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. So, the, so one form of leprosy actually mostly happens internally, and it ends in mental decay. Leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are like claws. So you start to turn inward on yourself. And there, there follows ulceration of the hands and feet. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end, a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years it is a kind of terrible, progressive death in which a man dies by inches. It is a horrific disease, and it was the most feared disease of Jesus' day. And it wasn't just the physiological implications of the way that this would take over your body inch by inch, day by day. But not only would your body be taken over, but your whole life would be now affected because you have this. Some of you who deal with chronic pain or you have a debilitating injury that you've lived with, you learn how it actually starts to affect the practical implications of your life, does it not? Nothing was more all-encompassing than leprosy on an individual. It was said that, like I told you, they were seen as walking dead people. And in Jesus' day... Lepers were banned from entering any town that had walls on it. So any town, any big city that had fortification, they weren't allowed in at all. It was illegal. And it was also the law that if you had leprosy, you had to stay a minimum of six feet away from people. Sound familiar? Yeah, social distancing is not our idea. And in fact, if there was any breeze whatsoever, it wasn't just six feet. You had to stay 100 cubits away from the nearest person, which is about 200 feet. So you start to do the math in your head. This individual was not just suffering the physiological implications, but there were massive social implications of having this kind of disease. The individual who had leprosy was left not just to suffer, but to suffer Utterly alone. It's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to suffer alone, isn't it? I know so many of us had loved ones that had to experience that during the pandemic. It was like almost unconscionable to think that someone would have to stay in the hospital and suffer in isolation. And yet we've seen that happen. It's an unbelievable pain for the individual in the hospital and the family that loves them. Through that lens, you can start to understand the pain that someone might have and a family might have if you got this disease. It was the law to stay away. In fact, they actually had to identify themselves. They had to wear certain garments, and they also had to say, when they were entering into a space, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that you knew to get back. Just put yourself in their shoes for a minute about just the idea of everybody that you know and love and anybody you would someday meet, their response to you was not to come near, it was to actually step back. You're starting to understand leprosy. There was 
physiological pain, but the social and psychological pain was probably even worse. And then to top it off, there was the stigma. See, this was known as like a dirty disease. It wasn't just that you were falling apart and literally like you, you looked visibly horrific, but there was a connection to the fact that you were probably somewhere you shouldn't been, with someone you shouldn't been, doing something you shouldn't have done. And now some religious people might even say that it's the judgment of God on your life to, as to why you have this disease in the first place. It's probably your own fault. Now we're understanding leprosy. Leprosy was this all-encompassing ailment that separated you from people. It turned your life upon itself, and you were trapped in the prison of your own dysfunction. That is leprosy. And this is where we start in the story, this idea of this leper. And now you're like, why are you talking so much about leprosy? I don't have leprosy. Thank God you don't. But leprosy in the scripture is a picture, it's a visible picture of the ailment known as sin. In fact, all of us, the Bible says, are lepers, so to speak. All of us have this disease that starts out on the inside and if not dealt with, slowly begins to work its way into your life. And as it becomes full grown and goes into full bloom, it can actually affect your relationships. It has a way of dividing us and separating us and keeping us apart. It has a way of making us grow inward. It deforms us and defies the glory of God on our lives. This is the problem of sin. James the brother of Jesus describes sin like this. He says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So again, very similar to the way that leprosy starts out as a small spot and grows from there. And begins to work its way through someone's life, cutting them off and removing parts of them and complicating relationships. Has anybody noticed how sin can do that? How it was just a small little problem at one point and then it has its way of working its way into affecting everything. You know, talk to some of our recovered alcoholics. They will tell you, I thought I had it under control. But it took over inch by inch. This is what leprosy does. This is what sin does. It's this invisible disease that over time takes over and separates us. And I want to just point this out today and before we get to the good news, because I felt like someone needed to hear this. To be reminded of the end result of sin. The end result of sin is ultimately destruction. That sin left undealt with, sin left untreated, eventually sets us off from other people. It destroys our lives. It, it brings more and more dysfunction to the point that it ends in death. This is the thing about if you got leprosy in the first century, everyone knew you were going to die from leprosy. There was no cure. And this is something to help us understand the nature of sin. Sin is a bigger deal than we try to convince ourselves that it is. If you're like me, when you have something going on with your body, I do the strategy of I'm going to just ignore it until it goes away. Anybody else do that? My wife just constantly is on me. If I have something, she's like, you wouldn't go to the doctor if your arm fell off. Like, it'll, it'll, re it'll grow, out, grow back. Right? Anybody do that? Anybody live in the ignorance is bliss camp? 
And you know what? We're not totally crazy. Our bodies have a way of regenerating. I have successfully ignored something until it went away. (laughs) But not with the major things. You can't ignore cancer until it goes away. You can't ignore some of these things. And that's the truth about sin. You can't ignore it until it goes away. And I, I've lived long enough and served Jesus long enough to know that I, there's been things I thought I had victory on that I just wasn't, it, there wasn't a flare-up. And it wasn't until later on that I realized, oh, that's still there. Oh, that's still a problem. Oh, that's still in me. This is how leprosy helps us understand sin. The Bible says that we are all sinners, that we're all lepers. This story is about you. If if you're trying to figure out who you are in the story of Jesus and the leper, you are the leper. I am the leper. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. That this is where this ultimately ends up. And this is not a popular message right now, is it? Like the idea that you're actually not okay just the way you are. I won't sing pink today. You're not. And this is the message of the the gospel. The gospel first says, you know what, you have a big problem. It's a problem called sin. Every human being has it, and you're not okay. And here's, here's what the gospel would say. It's not okay to not be okay. You know, we have that saying nowadays, it's okay to not be okay. And I get the sentiment and it's, it's, it's coming from a good place to invite people to just to be accepted. We want acceptance. But the gospel says, no, it's, it's not okay to not be okay. This is why Jesus came, to deal with our not okayness, to bring us a solution. We'll get to that in a minute. But I felt like someone needed to be reminded today, and this isn't the point of my message, but someone needed to be reminded today that that little spot's not going to go away on its own. That that problem that you're telling yourself, ah, it's not that big a deal, when it is full grown, it takes over your life. That that thing that you keep trying to convince yourself, oh, I don't have a problem, or telling yourself it's not a big deal, or I have it under control. The gospel of Jesus would tell you, actually, you don't. It's going to take over your whole life. You have an incurable disease called sin, and it needs to be dealt with. So here's where this becomes really good news. And this is really the simple message today. And I don't know who needs to hear it, but let's, let's just check it out and see if we can now understand it. you have a handle on what leprosy is? Yes. And do you have a handle on the fact that you have leprosy? Yes. Sort of? You don't actually, but you do, you know, metaphorically speaking, sin, got it? Okay, good, we're good, we can move on. Now let's see if we can see the beauty of this passage. So when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy, a woman with leprosy, Brent Ingersoll, came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in the most unimaginable act, Jesus reached out his hand and say the word and touched the man. He reached out and touched the man. I was away a few weeks ago and my son Aiden texted me, which how fun is it when you can start texting with your kids? I love this. But he texted me, he said, dad, I'm watching The Chosen. Does anybody watch The Chosen? You really should. It's beautiful. It's an incredible show. Uh, It really does a great job of just showing context. And I I think it's my favorite portrayal of Jesus ever. Uh, But uh, my son texted me and said, Dad, I'm watching The Chosen, and I didn't understand what just happened. There was a guy named Leper who, who came toward Jesus and the disciples, 
And they all pulled swords on him and they started running at him to try to chase him away from Jesus. Why did they do that? And he was trying to understand why the, the disciples immediately almost got violent with the leper to try to protect Jesus from the man with leprosy. And it really shows the, the cultural reality of someone who had leprosy. The, the last thought in the world was the leper needs to get close to the rabbi or the rabbi wants to get close to the leper. The disciples rightly thought our job is to protect the man of God from ever getting that disease. And so that's why they drew swords on the leper, was to try to keep him away from Jesus. And now in that context, you start to see the scandal of what happened next. Jesus pushes back the crowd and he pushes back his disciples and he pushes back the cultural expectation and the Roman mandate that says, keep your distance. And he presses through it and he reaches out and touches this man. It's, it's seriously mind-blowing. Like when you start to think about just like put yourself in that moment. Better yet, put yourself as the man with leprosy who has been living alone and in isolation, slowly watching this problem take over his life, losing parts of himself on the regular, bringing up his last bit of strength to come and fall before Jesus in a last-ditch effort and saying, if, you can, if you're willing, you can heal me. And at the moment where you expect it to go just like it has with everybody else, where the, the guy is going to step back away, I can't be near you, what does Jesus do? He steps forward and puts his hand on him. Here's the crazy thing about this. Jesus doesn't need to touch you to heal you. The very next story we're going to look at next week, Jesus does a long-distance healing. He can, do, he can touch you or he can just say the word, and the healing happens, which we'll see next week. Jesus was making a point. And here's the point. He is not repelled by us. Like just, just draw up for a second. Like that thing that you're most ashamed of, that part of yourself that you find most deplorable. Just be honest with yourself for a minute. Those things about you that you know, like there's just this shame and this condemnation, the thing that you, you probably wouldn't even be honest with yourself about, let alone any other people. And here we see Jesus, the Son of God, in full knowledge of the fact that this man has leprosy, that this is a contagious disease. If you get it, you're going to die. And Jesus defies all of medical wisdom, all of the law, all of the social norms, and he presses through and touches him. It is the most mind-blowing thing that you can ever imagine Jesus doing. He goes and does. One commentator I read said, to a Jew, there would be no more amazing sentence in the New Testament than the simple statement, and he reached out his hand and touched the man. I don't know who needs to hear this today. Very simple message, but it's for you. Jesus is not repelled by you. And he's not repelled by the real you. The you that you try to hide the you that you try to clean up, the you that you try to convince other people and yourself that you're not. He's not repelled by you. He knew the leper was a leper and touched him anyway. He knew the sinner was a sinner and touched him anyway. 
He knew the adulterer was an adulterer and touched them anyway. He knew the alcoholic was an alcoholic and touched him anyway. He knew the gambling addict was a gambling addict and touched him anyway. He knew the failure was a failure and touched him anyway. He knew the fearful man was a fearful man and touched him anyway. There was, there's, there's no ailment that surprises him. And if he's willing to touch a leper, there's no one he's unwilling to touch. That's the point of this story. Someone needs to hear it today. If he's willing to touch a leper, there's no one he's unwilling to touch. And now don't just sit there and nod and say, oh, that's good. No, there's, there's no one. Let's ramp it up to full-blown sin. I'm not, I'm not just saying like the little closet sins. I mean, he would touch the molester. He would touch the pedophile. He would touch the murderer and the sociopath. There is nobody afflicted that he is unwilling to touch. That's the point of this message. See, to the Jew, there was no one more deplorable and untouchable than a leper. So don't miss how unbelievably profound it is that this is the first thing that Jesus does on the heels of announcing this incredible kingdom. It's a statement to say, and who's it for? The deplorables, the sinners, the dysfunctional, the disasters. This is who this is for. Just sit with that for a minute. I don't know who needs this. I don't know who's been disqualifying themselves or maybe you're telling yourself, oh, I'll get myself cleaned up. See, that's the great lie, isn't it, that affects us in the church. It's affected us so much in the church that it's affected people who might even be part of the church and that is this. I'm gonna clean myself up just enough to get in proximity to Jesus. The thing about the leper is there's nothing he could do to make himself look not leprous. He had to come to him just as he was, and Jesus was not repelled by him or repulsed by him. At the moment that everybody thought Jesus would step back, he steps forward. And this is the gospel of Jesus. And let me just push on this for a minute. This is why it's so, the, when we celebrate Christmas, the incarnation, the fact that Jesus came and put on flesh, this is the most unimaginable message in all of human, human history. You know, this past week, and I'm very excited about this, we launched our ministry apprenticeship program. And we've got 20-some people going through being trained, and we started our theology class. And we talked about how Christianity is different from every other world religion, every single one of them. They all have this similar thread, whether it's through knowledge or deeds or through relationships, that somehow you're going to ascend and get to nirvana or get to heaven but the message of the gospel it flips it on its head that heaven came to us, that salvation came to us, that healing came to us in a person. It is the most unimaginable message. And it's different than anything that you'll hear. That God Almighty put on flesh and came to touch us in our dysfunction. This is why when I say it's, it's, it's not okay to not be okay, it's because Jesus came because we aren't okay. He came to deal with our affliction and our, our, our infirmities. This is the message of the gospel, and we have got it twisted. I remember one time I sold a lawnmower on Kijiji, and uh, the guy came, and I invited him as we were loading the lawnmower onto his trailer. I invited him, hey, come to church. We're, we were, it was near Easter. 
So I come to church, we'd love to have you. And he said the thing, if I had a dollar for every person that's ever said this to me, he said it, you've probably heard it or maybe said it yourself. If I go to church, the walls will cave in. Isn't that, have you heard that? Yeah, you haven't invited anybody to church if you haven't heard that. Get out there and start inviting people. Because like, I, you're, I'm batting 500. Like half of them are just touched. You, you invite them, the other half are like, I can't come to church. Do you know who I am? But that, that it's precisely for those people that Jesus came. It's precisely for you people that Jesus came. It's precisely for the deplorable people that Jesus came. This is the gospel. It's a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And this is why Matthew put this here. It's this, it's this invitation. It's an even you invitation to know God and be touched by him. Even them. I felt someone needed to hear this. It's an even now invitation. Oh man, you know what gets me a lot of the time? That it sets up a wall between me and Jesus and that is that, that I, might not have, I might not have lived up to what I knew he was calling me to live up to. Like anybody, anybody ever dealt with the condemnation that comes from failing after you've believed? And then you start to tell yourself, well, he saved me once, surely he won't give me mercy again. Anybody honest enough to admit that? That we, we, start to, we start to convince ourselves, well, how many times can I keep coming back to the well? I mean, get your act together, Brent. Not this again? Even now. Even still. Even if. Even that. The person with that issue. So just, just hear me today. And I felt the Spirit of God just wanting to speak over you that there is nothing that you have done. There's nothing you could ever do. There's nothing about you that Jesus has to step back from. In fact, he is, he is not repel, repel, repelled by you. He's compelled by you. And he steps forward to touch. That's who this Jesus is. It's an unimaginable miracle. Let's finish it up. I told you I'd be quick. Simple message. The leper comes and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched, reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. I just started to picture that for a minute. People are blown away at the transformation that they saw right in front of their eyes. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone, and the reason for that is that the hour had not yet come. But he says, go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift commanded as a testimony to them. Now, what's going on here? When Jesus heals this man, something unimaginable takes place. The opposite of what was supposed to happen, happens. See, conventional wisdom is that disease spreads, Correct? Like some of us are, are, are it's, we're, we're right coming on the heels of a global pandemic. We know this. You know, wash your hands, use the stuff, put on the mask. All right, we, we've learned that disease spreads. And it was believed specifically that leprosy was harder to cure than it would be to raise the dead. In fact, if you know your Old Testament, there was a story of Naaman, the Syrian commander, who was healed 
And before he was healed by the prophet of God, he went to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel flipped out. He says, what am I, God, that I can raise the dead? Good luck, he says. You're, you're screwed, my, my translation. But it was understood that this was an impossible thing to heal, that leprosy was a death sentence, that there was no cure for this. And specifically, it was also understood that the moment that something clean touched what was unclean, that thing that was previously clean now became unclean. This is what the whole book of Leviticus is about, is an effort in cleanliness. If something clean touches what is unclean, it becomes unclean. Now hang with me. So why is this important? Well, let's describe the scene. Let's picture it. Let's put ourselves there in the crowd. Or better yet, let's put ourselves there as the leper. This leper has been taught that if he touches anything, his disease is going to affect them. But now Jesus, the one who is clean, steps forward and touches the unclean man or the unclean woman. And instead of the unclean making the clean unclean, the clean made the unclean clean. Oh, I said that right. Now, cute tongue twister, but it's, it's more, it, you need to actually hear this. Instead of the clean being made unclean by the touch, the exchange was the opposite. That the cleanliness and the life and the healing and the health of Christ was more powerful than the disease of the leper. And that the leprosy did not have the power to override the cleanliness and the holiness and the life of Christ. That, that the life of Jesus was more powerful. It's not that the leprosy wasn't deplorable and gross. It was. It's just that it wasn't powerful enough and deplorable enough to override the grace and righteousness and glory and goodness of Jesus. And so when the glory of Jesus and the life of Jesus reached out and touched that sin and touched that leprosy and touched that decay, the, it was the opposite of what was expected. Instead of the clean becoming unclean, the unclean became clean. And this is the gospel in a nutshell. That when we make contact with Jesus, all of our regret and shame and affliction and infirmity and disappointment and dysfunction and decay and disease gets overridden by his grace and his goodness and his life and his health and his power. It overrides. And this is what Jesus did on the cross. It was this point of exchange. This is why we're invited to come to the cross. Because when we come to him, we make contact with him through faith. And when you put your faith in him and you make that contact, this great exchange begins to happen. Our disease and our infirmity gets placed on him in exchange for his holiness and righteousness. Our sin gets placed on him in, in, in exchange for his glory back on us. Picture yourself, picture the exchange, our shame for his glory, our fear for his confidence. You anxious today? Let him touch you. He is more confident than you are anxious. Just, just receive that. He is more confident than you are, than you are fearful. It's not that he's trying, like when, when the Bible tells us, don't be afraid, he's not saying like, okay, power up and make yourself not afraid. You have no more power to be unafraid than the leper had to be non-leprous. 
But when you come to the one who is not afraid and you let him touch you, his peace overrides your fear. There's this exchange. Are you getting it? Transformation happens. Anxiety for his peace. Our despair for his hope. It's not that you aren't going through darkness. It's just that his light is brighter than your darkness. I know people, I I can see people right here in the valley and other people at West and in Halifax, our whole community, that can testify that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid because why? The light is with me. Jesus actually has the power of transformation. I don't know who needs to hear this today. Maybe there's somebody here who thinks I'm hopeless, it's hopeless, there's no help for me. I defy you. Jesus has more power than whatever is coming against you today. He is mighty to save, and his salvation is more than just some formal thing that will get you to heaven someday. His salvation will reach right into your life today and start bringing transformation. He can bring comfort for the one who's grieving today. He can bring healing for the one who's who's failing today. He can do it. Jesus, here's the last point. Somebody needs to hear this, that Jesus transforms all who believe. And this is going to be the story for the rest of the book of Matthew is the transforming power of King Jesus. He can change you. He can save you. This is why it's not okay to be okay. And this is why Christians, we don't say that. It's, you know, it's okay to be not okay. No, it's not. Jesus came precisely because I'm not okay to make me okay. Am I still a work in progress? Absolutely. Does healing come instantaneously? Not always. Actually, my experience, rarely. In fact, there's other stories of 10 lepers who later on you'll see that they were, they were transformed over time on a journey. But get this and know this today that Jesus has the power to transform all who believe. The man was cleansed of his leprosy. It's a picture of the gospel, of what the gospel does. The idea of substitution. Atonement. It says in Isaiah that all of our iniquities and infirmities were laid upon him. What's happening on the cross? Well, one of the things that's happening on the cross of Jesus is that he is actually taking on our leprosy. He's taking on our disease. He's taking on our past mistakes, our shame. He's substituting it. But it's not just a substitution, it's also a restoration. That this cross, this this gospel, this King Jesus has the power not just to take on your shame, but to give you new life and new power and new purpose and new peace and glory. There is restoration. And then I love this. I I want to include this. There's also reconciliation. Not just that we've been reconciled to God through Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, some of you? For God made him who knew no sin... To what? To be sin. So he took on our sin so that what? We can become the righteousness of God. We have been reconciled to Christ. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. But also, get this, when Jesus cleanses us and transforms us, it reconciles us to each other. Sin separates us, doesn't it? Yes? Sin separates. The restoring, healing power of God's grace unites. I love that little thing that Jesus said at the end. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Why was he doing that? Well, one, it said it right in there, as a testimony to what has happened here. 
It was the priest that had to legally say this man no longer has leprosy. But also what was happening was the moment the priest said this man no longer has leprosy, he was formally welcomed back into the community that he was once kept out of. So what makes you allowed to be part of the church? What keeps the building from falling in? It's the grace of God that has reconciled us and invites us to be part of it. How many are glad that your connection to each other isn't built on whether or not they're good friends? It's built on the blood of Jesus. This is why we have to keep forgiving each other. Oh, don't say that, Brent. No, this is why 70 times 7 we have to keep offering healing and restoration. Why? Because this is, this is who he is. This is the grace of God in us. Transformation happens. I came to tell somebody that you are not hopeless, that you might not be okay, but Jesus came to bring life to you right where you're at. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to dust yourself off. There is restoration and substitution and reconciliation for you. You know, it's really confronting that lie of the times, isn't it? The lie that says, you can't change. You were born this way. You shouldn't change. You be you. The gospel says, no. Yeah, maybe you were born that way. You must be born again. All of us, like sheep, have been led astray. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And all of us are invited to have him invade our lives right where we are at. This is the mystery of the gospel. You can change. You must change. And I will just testify, you know what? There's still spots in my life that the healing power of God's grace is working its way through. The same way that leprosy works its way through your life, I have found grace works its way through your life. Has anybody noticed that? I'm not perfect today, but I am far different than when I started with Jesus. Far different. There are, there are parts of me that he has completely restored and brought freedom to, even as he continues to work on me. Can anybody testify to that? We've seen it. We've, we've got a church full of former addicts. People who have experienced real, actual victory. Former narcissists. Former gossips. Jesus can change. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to pray. I don't know who it is that needed to hear this today. But just hear the word of the Lord. And hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is willing and able to bring life and transformation to you. I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray. In, I felt directed to do this. I'm just going, to, just going to take a minute. We're going to wrap up and pray all of our locations. We're just going to pray for a fresh touch from Jesus. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to touch us fresh. And specifically... I felt there's areas of perhaps sin. And some, some of you, you know what? You're telling yourself it's not a big deal. Not big deals have a way of turning out to be big deals. And I just felt the actual like free, no condemnation invitation of Jesus to say, just offer that to me. Invite me, invite me into it. 
let me touch that area. And there are people here, I felt very specifically, there are people here who feel like you've already done this a hundred times. Invite him again. This is an even still invitation, an even now invitation, an even that invitation. And then there are areas of shame. I felt very specifically uh, that the Spirit just wanted to put his hand on areas of shame or regret or deep grief even. Things that you've done, things that maybe someone has done to you, or just things that you've had to endure and go through. I felt the Lord just wanted to say, let me, just invite me to touch it. And I don't know, maybe he's going to, the Spirit's going to, right in this moment, just bear witness to your spirit that he's doing a new work. Or maybe over time you're going to find yourself seeing a new level of healing. But in any case, I'm going to pray over areas of sin. How many know the church has got to learn how to deal with sin? We just do. Call it for what it is and then not be afraid of approaching Jesus. Here's how you can know if you understand the gospel. It's how you answer the question of your own sin. When you realize you have a sin, if you are compelled to withdraw from Jesus, you don't understand this gospel. The response of our sinfulness is to turn to the one who can touch us and cleanse us and forgive us and free us. And so we invite him to touch us fresh. So areas of sin, areas of shame. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and I'm just gonna invite the Holy Spirit just for this new work. Come Holy Spirit. We just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. So Father, uh, on behalf of our church, as one who are many, we, we come to you and we just say, we, we acknowledge today our imperfections. Holy Spirit, would you help, help us see better actually how badly we need healing? And Lord, would you even begin to highlight right now some areas that maybe we've shrugged off or we've convinced ourselves will go away or we're just tired of fighting it? Would you just show us? Just even you right now, and just with the Holy Spirit, just even let him, let him show you, put his finger on. I feel like he's doing that for some of you. Just putting his finger on areas that you've been struggling with or maybe entertaining. Now, Lord, we offer, we offer ourselves to you as we are. And we ask for a fresh touch of grace. Lord, I pray, for, I pray right now for the one who's struggling with grief and worry and despair specifically despair. I pray, God, right now you touch them with fresh hope. Lord, for the one who's struggling with addiction right now, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, with, with alcohol addiction, pornography addictions, Lord, I pray right now with a, for a fresh touch of healing that brings self-control and gives the assurance of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Father, for the one who's struggling with their identity, self-worth, and they're obsessing about what people think of them, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you touch their identity and show them your love for them right now. And now, God, we hand you not just our areas of sin, but we hand you our shame. And Holy Spirit, right now, I pray, would you just, over the one who's here maybe with, with a deep past hurt, regret, a pain that, of something that has happened to them or maybe a shame of something they've done. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, would you just wash them new? 
bring cleansing? Lord, the same way that the, the leper spots started to disappear, God, I pray that the old wounds and old dysfunction and old baggage would begin to dissipate right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for your kindness to us, God. We thank you for your healing touch. We pray this all in your name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.